Thanks for joining us on our walk through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In this series, we'll see many cultural similarities between the Pacific Northwest and ancient Greece. In our final mini-series in 1 Corinthians, Gospel-Formed Discipleship, Paul discusses the shape of Sunday services, how we use our spiritual gifts, and how all of us can share God's love through evangelism. We'll be challenged and grown by God's Word, so join us Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. For more information, please visit doxa-church.com. Well, we're coming, as, as Donald said, to the end of our 1 Corinthians series, so everyone says, oh, okay, right? And next week, we're gonna start our Ruth series. There we go, that's good. Okay, yeah, so you're much more awake than the nine o'clock, but you've been sleeping longer, so that's why. It's good to have you guys with us. I, I've loved this series. It has challenged me like crazy, I'm gonna be honest, because when you have to sit in the text all week long to get ready to preach, the Holy Spirit works you over as you submit yourself to his word, and so I, I really have been worked over in a lot of ways. Uh, there's a lot of change in my life still to come as a result, and so I want you to be mindful of what did God do in your life through the last seven or eight months in the book of First Corinthians. In fact, at the end of our time together of teaching, we're gonna open up a time for you to share in an open mic kind of way uh, what God did in your life, what he taught you, what, what, what is changing maybe in you or what you know needs to change in you. Maybe you even, might even have a word that you need to speak to our church in light of what God's done. So we're gonna give you space for that. And I, I'm really gonna ask for participation uh, because we tend to be like, oh, we'll just sit back and let someone else talk. I'd really love for all, as many as possible to share because we're gonna give you about 10 minutes uh, time to do it. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> what we're gonna do now like Donald said, it's kind of a TED Talk style review. We're gonna walk through all this, the mini-series that we did of 1 Corinthians. You, many, many of you know we spent six mini-series to go through the entire book. And we've asked each one of our elders, not all of them, just some of our elders are gonna be sharing this morning uh, a section. They're taking one of the series, they're gonna highlight some of the key points and specifically speak to you something that God's put on their heart that we need to hear from them in this season. So it's gonna be like, Five, five minutes, I, I'm gonna break the rule a little bit and go a little longer, but uh, they are really good at staying within the guidelines. Uh, uh, so I, I'm gonna invite Dave up in a moment. I'm gonna pray first. Uh, Dave Cox is gonna kick, kick us off in gospel form status. So let's just pray that the Lord would speak to us as we listen to his word again. Father, we are grateful that we got to journey together through a remarkable text that we admittedly fall short of living up to. And yet we thank you for your grace, your kindness that you still love us, forgive us, and we don't wanna just be hearers of the word, we wanna be doers. So Lord, even as we review now, would you speak to each one of us and remind us what you want us to look like, how you want us to live, what you want us to do in light of that. So we ask for your help. We pray that you'd bless these men as they share, Lord. We're thankful for them. Fill them with your spirit, empower them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Doxa. It's good to be able to share with you. I'm going to talk through the first part of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and this is where he reminds them of their status in Christ. And the one part I want to highlight for us today is the way uh, that uh, Paul talks about power. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And Doxa, do you believe that our status as Christians is one of power? Are you experiencing divine power in your everyday life? We see leader failure all the time, inside the church, outside the church. It reminds me of how weak and frail we are as humans. And I can't, I can't trust something so weak and frail. Church family, for me, I want the power of God in my life. I want something that is beyond all the weaknesses and the failures and the brokenness that I see, not only in myself, but also in the world around me. I want someone that is powerful, that will be redemptive to me, that will see my deepest needs, help me when I am hurting, have plans and strategies for my future, and demonstrate love to me that endures into eternity. I want all of that. I don't want to settle for anything less than experiencing Jesus Christ. He is my goal. He is my love. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my peace. He's my power. He's my everything. Amen? So I want to share, uh, because I care for you, Docs, the two ways that I see uh, you actively limiting and restricting God's power in your life. And I do this for myself as well. The first way I limit God's power is I prioritize my own strategies and wisdom over God's. I see many people put absolute confidence in their own plans and strategies at the expense of wisdom from the body of Christ and from the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you asked godly people for guidance on how to improve your parenting, how to improve your marriage, how to make financial decisions, who to date, uh, how to make job decisions? Docs, it's good to repent of ways that you have trusted yourself and your strategies instead of becoming more dependent on God and trusting His plans. And every Sunday after each gathering, uh, you can come forward for prayer and take advantage of this opportunity to grow in humility and to be prayed over by people who love you and care for your soul. The second way I see people limiting uh, God's power is that they engage in criticism of leaders and uh, here in this church and, and in surrounding churches. Some of you are constantly assessing your MC leader, your pastors, maybe other preachers or singers based on how well you enjoyed their teaching. Did it fit your style? Did it keep you interested? Did it satisfy the need that you came here with? In doing this, you train your heart to need a person and to need the right kind of person instead of needing God. And Docs, so last Saturday or last Sunday, we participated with many other churches uh, at the church in the park in Bellevue. So how was your heart towards those other churches? If you didn't want to participate, was that because you preferred just, uh, just doxa and there's something unattractive about building up the unity of the church? And if you did show up, did you reach out and encourage the other people that were there and uh, communicate with other churches? I hope you did, but, or did you silently judge the others for the, the failures that you perceived in their church? Church, we were called to be one. Jesus said that. And we, as we forgive one another, we demonstrate the love of God to a, a lost and broken world. On the positive side, I want to give you two practical ways you can experience God's power. The first um, that I get a ton from is to regularly confess my need to God. We have a great and loving Father, but we don't experience His power and love if we refuse to ask Him for help if we're not going to be honest with him about what's happening in our life. And I see this with my kids all the time. I can change almost everything about their life, but if they don't ask me for help, they won't experience my love and my power. 
And how much more powerful and loving is your heavenly father if you'll simply ask him for what you need? So make space and time today to cry out to the most powerful person in the universe and ask him to carry those burdens for you. Push into him. The second uh, is the way to experience more of God's power is to actually obey him and do the work that he's called you to do. God has made you a gift to this body. And, and I experience this myself. When I do the work God's called me to do, when I'm shepherding another person, I feel the Holy Spirit speaking through me to this other person, and we both get to experience God's power in the midst of the brokenness in our life. It's a beautiful thing. It's super fun. It feels, you feel joyful. Um, God is pleased with you when you try, when you step out in faith. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He is a good father who is pleased with his children when they listen to him and obey him. And he is eager to bestow his power upon you through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, I just want to encourage you, Docs. I love you very much. I care for you as a body very, very deeply. I and my fellow elders who want to be your spiritual fathers in Jesus Christ and lead you into experiencing God's power. First uh, Corinthians four fifteen through 17 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. I pray that you would experience more of God's power today as a follower of Jesus. So now you're going to hear from Pastor Alex on the next section of 1 Corinthians on gospel-formed relationships. The section of scripture that um, I have to summarize today is uh, 1 Corinthians 5 through 7 where the Apostle Paul makes the case that one of the most effective ways that God reveals his character in the world is through the evidence of how we relate to one another in the church, in the body of Christ. Paul makes the case from these verses that the gospel is the power of God to form the how we relate so that our lives end up telling the true story of who God is and what he's done in the world. Look at this picture of me and my boys. Uh, that's resemblance, right? Families resemble one another. Look at my boys' eyes and their nose and their mouth. Um, Paul's making the case in these verses that the gospel empowers us to walk and step continually with the Spirit so that you and I come to resemble the character of God in the way that we live in our relationships with each other in the church. And he identifies five areas. Paul says first that uh, talks about how the gospel empowers people who are thirsty to share in God's holiness to humbly receive and gently offer correction to each other. Because uh, Jesus was perfectly holy when he walked here on the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, do you realize the implications that that has for us? So that means when we are pursuing holiness in our life by God's grace, when we're humbly receiving, when we're gently offering correction to each other, we're being transformed by God's grace so that people actually see something of the Father in us. 
The second area is how the gospel empowers us to handle disagreements and suffer injustices in relationship in a way that testifies to the fact that we have entrusted our lives to God for his will to be done in every circumstance. The gospel calls us to a future king and a future kingdom where every wound is healed and every wrong is made right. And now ours, as our hunger grows for that, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, the idea of winning in a relationship and a conflict, that begins to fade as our highest value because we believe that Jesus is actually all that I need and all that I want. The third area that Paul talks about is that the gospel empowers us to use our bodies, our physical bodies, as a means toward God's ends. Our physical bodies are the means that God has given us to enjoy creation through our senses, to the end that we're filled with thanksgiving for our creator who gave us all things to enjoy. And our bodies are also meant to make God's love for people visible, to the end that the people around us, as they see us relate, get a front row seat to see the love of God in action. The fourth and fifth areas are two sides of the same coin. Fourth, the gospel empowers those who enter into the covenantal commitment of marriage to demonstrate a compelling human picture of God's covenant love for us who are the bride of Christ. Peter Scazzaro says in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, that married couples bear witness to the depth of Christ's love. Their vows focus and limit them to loving one person exclusively, permanently, and intimately. The other side of that coin is the fifth area. The gospel empowers those whom God has set free either permanently or temporarily from marriage to serve his kingdom with a much broader reach. Scazzaro says singles bear witness to the breadth of Christ's love because they're not limited by a vow to one person. They have more freedom and time to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. In all these things, God's intention in each one of these five areas of relationship is to remind us that his plan for how you and I handle relationships within the body of Christ is to testify to the true story of who God is and what he's done in the world. Now, Pastor Josh is going to come up and he's going to talk about gospel-formed freedom. Thanks, Alex. So Alex and I, we, we both have three sons. Um, you know, Alex, you got some good looking sons. My, my sons are actually better looking than I am because they take after their mom, so. <laughs> so this morning, we celebrate a journey together. I know a lot of us here have been together through these months as we've journeyed through 1 Corinthians. Uh, we've journeyed through the truths of God forming us, forming his church. And it's not just relaying information. And so as you hear all of us this morning, uh, hopefully we don't make the mistake to just hear this as information to consider. Mm, That maybe sounds pretty good. These are things, these are a call to faith. Because right now, in this moment, God is saying, do you believe me? Do you believe that I've formed you? Do you believe 
that I'm gonna continue to form you. And so I'm gonna speak about gospel-formed freedom. Three points here. The first one, God has given us the freedom to love. 1 Corinthians 8.13 says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat, lest I make him stumble. The big idea here is we sacrifice our freedom for the purposes of loving others. Again, we sacrifice our freedoms for the purposes of loving others. Our freedom in Christ is given to us that we are free to do whatever honors Christ and shows love to others. Now, this passage is about not eating food, sacrifice to idols, and so it's a little confusing. But what does it mean today, and what are the, some of the things that we can take forward into the future? Uh, as, we, as we're in a missional community group, when was the last time we really, really stopped and thought, how am I meeting the, the needs of those in my group? How am I better serving and loving? You may have people and experiences I've had, some in, in your MC, that's been sober for a number of years. And obviously the uh, celebrations and the family meals can often in- include alcohol, and that's a huge stumbling block. And it's not just an, an extreme example of that, but it's, again, where have we really considered how we can love and serve those in our missional communities? Uh, for our future, and I think a really challenging word for all of us, as parts of missional communities, we always ask, okay, God, what is our mission? What are we to do as a family of servant witnesses? And my challenge to all of us is this example that you may have someone at work, whether it's the office, the job site, no matter where it is, it's in the classroom. Someone in your work in your, that you know is gonna go through a hard time. We have the freedom to step out of ourselves and into a time where we can spend time with them, listening to them. And I wanna challenge us all. Are we engaging in that freedom, the freedom to really love in that way? And then last, my prayer is for us, the married couples. We need God's protection. We need God's flourishing. And so husbands and wives, the freedom to love. Husbands and wives, there's times when we're sitting up at bed at night and there's a wedge between us, right? And some of you know what I'm talking about. In the nine o'clock service, there's a few people that were just giving me this big smile, okay? Big wedge between us. And so we have the freedom to just say, hey, I'm not in the wrong. Hey, you know what? I, I really didn't do this. I don't need to apologize, We have the freedom to take initiative with our spouse, to acknowledge that in some way we've made a mess, right? And to initiate, hey, we need to pray. In that, we have the freedom to love. The second is God has given us the freedom from idols. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. The big idea here is our hearts, and we know this, our hearts are so easily drawn to things that are less than God. We're captured by these things, but they're temporary. They're the people and things that often control us. Our ego and our status, we try to live up to other people. And just even the outright sins that we're entangled with. And it's a lie to think or to say that, you know what, we're just going to be constantly caught up in this idol, that we have no control over it. We have the freedom from those idols because those two things, those, those demons and partaking with the Lord, we know that that just leads to bitterness, to destruction, emptiness, and ultimately just an insult to God, our creator. But doxa, we have freedom from these idols. Again, don't think that you're trapped forever. We have freedom through Christ 
because we can have the ability to realize where we are and that we can turn back to God. And then last, God has given us the freedom to live for his glory and the gain of others. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Just as I, Paul, try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So you see, God has formed us so that in all things, big and small, we can give him glory. And we need to challenge ourselves because how often do we just go through life just like this, no big deal. I mean, I'm on the 405 driving north and you know, on the west is the, is the Olympics. <laughs> on the east, it's just, you know, it's just the Cascades, not a big deal, are you kidding me? Do we stop and we really look at God, your glory, God, your wonder? In simple things like the time we have with friends and family and relationships, those relationships really show us the nature, the picture of God. And we can go, wow, I'm able to engage in these friendships. Or how about in God's creation? Just like that example of driving, especially here, we, we should be blown away at the fingerprint of God, giving him praise and honor. And lastly, when Paul says, loving not to my advantage, but the advantage of others, doxa, we need to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ. We need to live and pray as witnesses of Jesus Christ. We need to share and proclaim as witnesses that all may be saved. People around us, people that we're spending time with, are we praying for them? Are we wanting to ask questions to then be able to share with them? And so in that light of really being witnesses, I'm gonna invite Nate up, who's gonna talk about our gospel-formed future. So my wife, Hannah, and I had the awesome privilege of hosting a few um, Japanese guys this past winter for uh, four months or so. Uh, one of which was actually a, a relatively famous illustrator over in Japan. He focused primarily on children's books and, and things like that. Um, his name is Takao, and uh, we were introduced to him actually from uh, a church over in Japan called Somofuchu, which uh, we and, and likewise you all actually help support through Doxa. Um, he's not a Christian yet. His wife is actually more recently. Um, she was saved just a little while ago, and his best friend uh, is actually the pastor of that church. So we're hopeful that it's literally just a little bit more time and, and he'll be saved as well. But um, on the last day that he was with us, you know, we worked really hard to, to show him the love and the grace and care and generosity of Christ, uh, you know, working with him and loving him and caring for him. And, and we got the opportunity, you know, through word and, and deed to share the gospel with him. And, and on the last day, um, that he was with us, we had dinner and we hung out and we were just telling him how much we loved him, how much we cared for him, his soul and who, who he was. He's had a bit of a rough life in, in various ways. Um, and we wanted to show, you know, tell him God loves you. He knows you. He sees you. Have hope in that. Uh, and he, he started to cry. He, he didn't know what that meant, but he started to cry. And, you know, he, he looked at us and he, he speaks English well, relatively well, but um, not perfect, but he understood what we were saying, but it didn't really makes sense to him. And he looked at us and, and asked us this really simple but actually profound question. He said, why hope? 
And Hannah and I kind of looked at each other and we thought, you know, this is what we're supposed to say. We're Christians and you say that God loves you and you should have hope. But he didn't understand what it meant. And that's really the question that this passage that I'm going to talk about answers. So why hope? And the very thing that I told to Cow is what I want to tell you today. Um, you see, the thing is, is that our hope comes from the fact that Christ was raised from the dead and our hope is in the power of the resurrection. As we'll see, if it's not true, we are the most pitied. But if it is true, we are the most hopeful. I'll say it again. If it's not true, we are the most pitied. But if it is true, we are the most hopeful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Don't miss this. It all hinges on the truth of the resurrection. If Jesus of Nazareth lived and died but did not rise, we have no hope. We're simply delusional as the one we call Christ has no real power or authority. He was simply another man like Adam, like us, who lived, sinned, and died, period. The only difference was he went around like a crazy person telling everyone he was God. The truth is he did not sin, he rose again. The truth is the resurrection of Christ changes everything. First, it changes our conception and perception of who God is. Our conception and perception of who God is. He's not a distant, faraway God removed from humanity. He is a God who is near, who cares and knows us. He took on flesh and became like us, humbling himself to love and serve, live and die rise and ascend for us. Second, the resurrection of Christ changes our present reality of purpose and meaning. Our present reality of purpose and meaning. You see, as Christ was raised from the dead, so too will we, as those who believe and follow him, be raised from the dead. But as Paul says in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us drink and eat for tomorrow we die. If Christ stay dead, live however you want, he says. It doesn't matter. The reality is we die to ourselves, our desires every day because Jesus is our risen Lord, ruler and king of our lives. So we follow his authority and example by the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, the resurrection changes our current and future hope. Our current and future hope. Paul says in verse 17 through 22, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, listen to this, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see, we all live like my friend, the one who lived with us. You simultaneously want more than this life can give and hope there's more to life 
than, this, than just this. And whatever this is, your job, your career, your family, leisure, sports, vacation, fashion, beauty, fitness, your kids, whatever it is, you were made for more than just this. But have hope. That's what Paul says. This life is not all there is. There is hope in the resurrection. It is true, and we know that because Jesus is alive, that fact changes everything. And you can have that hope. It can change everything for you. If you are not a Christian, place your faith and hope in Jesus, not yourself. The one who died for your sins and rose again to give you lasting and eternal hope. And if you have done this, have hope in your future resurrection. You were made for more than just your life here and now. You were made to live forever. In verses 45 through 49, Paul says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, came, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And catch this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus came to earth to, as God to live, die, and rise again on our behalf to conquer sin and death. Why? So that if you believe and follow him, like Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And that's how the resurrection gives us hope. With that, I'll invite Jeff up to talk about the gospel-formed worship and discipleship. I'm so thankful for uh, our elders and their wives and what a gift they are to our church, aren't you? Yeah, these are just some of them, but yeah, really. Um, I'm going to be talking briefly about chapter 9 and then also chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. And at the heart of Paul's concern in this entire letter is this question, who is this all about and what's motivating everything we do? And his big answer would be, this is not about you. It's about him. I want to say that again. This is not primarily about you, it's about him. The biggest problem for the Corinthian church is they kept asking, what's in it for me and how can I make myself more through the church? Instead of how can I be in it for him and make more of Jesus for the glory of God? Okay, so that's the big first one. Second, the motive he's gonna tell us was primarily love. And when it's love, everything is right. And when it's not love, everything is broken. So those are two big ideas. I wanted to start with acknowledging the Apostle Paul's reasoning for why he's able to say, I know I've got all kinds of rights, but I'm not taking advantage of my rights for the sake of others. The reason Paul could say that is because he understood that Jesus, who had all the rights, gave up every right so that we might have the right to be called children of God. Amen? So I wanted to read from Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna read from the message just to ask us how much we've considered all that Jesus did and how that affects how we see ourselves and our sense of privilege or right. 
Uh, I don't tend to read from the message that much from here. I think it's really helpful because it gives us a sense of Paul's words in a very personal way to us today. So this is what he says. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, would bow down and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So because Paul knows that Jesus and what that Jesus did for him, Paul is compelled to lay aside his rights for the sake of others. In chapter nine, he says this, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. See, Paul knows that because Jesus was willing to lay down his rights so that Paul might have rights, Paul now is willing to lay down his rights so that others might have the right to be called children of God through our witness, through our testimony, through the way we love and serve them. So here's the question I want to ask, family. Are you willing to give up your rights? Are you willing to do whatever it takes so that people meet Jesus through our lives? Do we care at all you heard me a couple weeks ago. Do we care at all about the souls of our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates, the parents sitting with us in the stands watching our kids' sports? Do, does it bother us at all that they will spend a Christless eternity away from God without faith in Jesus Christ and that God has called us to be the primary means by which they would meet him? Does it bother us at all that they don't know the love of God Paul says, I care about it so much, I'll give up everything so that you might know how much he loves you through Jesus. See, one of the ways that we can grow in laying down our rights for those who don't yet have faith in Jesus is by practicing laying down our rights for those who already do have faith in Jesus, which is what really chapters 12 and 14 are all about. This idea that you and I, as we come together, are not showing up at a building and primarily saying, was it good for me? What did I receive? 
Did I walk away feeling like you gave me what I wanted? Instead, as we heard Donald share, that we should come together in a gathering and realize that we are the gift that God has given to the body with gifts and skills and abilities to equip and encourage and build up the others around us. That we would show up prayerfully saying, Lord, would you work in and through me as a gift with my gifts for this church's sake? Would you help me to say, God, not what is in it for me, but how can I glorify you by being good for somebody else today? How many of you came that, that way this morning? Don't raise your hand, okay? How many, if you were honest, don't raise your hand, came and said, man, I sure hope it's gonna be a good message. Oh man, there's five people gonna speak and... You know, and you have to listen to five messages. Even while you're going through it, you're like, oh, come on. You're watching your watch. You know, I was hoping we'd start Ruth this week. Or whatever it was. I don't know what you're thinking. But I hope you were listening to these men up here going, Lord, how can I receive so that I can give? What are they saying to me that I could pour out into the life of somebody else as I leave this building? Okay, if we're honest, I'm one of the people who often comes and says, was it good for me? And that we've got to repent of that. We've got to say, Lord, were you glorified and were others blessed through me as a gift given to the body of Christ? Pay attention to your posture, not just when we gather, but when we get together in our mission communities or when we are opening our homes. What's the posture that you take in your neighborhood? You say, man, I got rights and people are stepping all over them. But you say, no, I have given up my rights for the one who gave up his rights for me so that I might bless others as a result. See, God saved you and I from the punishment of sin, from slavery to sin, not so that we could just pine away and wait for heaven, but so that we could be free to give our lives away for him now, for his glory and the good of people around us. Amen? Do you think you've been saved to be sent or saved just to wait around for Jesus to come back? You've been saved to be sent to your neighbor. Saved to be sent to your coworker. Saved to be sent to your classmate. Saved to be sent to your family. That's why he saved you. That's why he rescued you. He set you free to send you out for the good of others. So, you're not gonna learn how to lay down your rights for the lost if you can't lay them down for each other. So I wanna just first of all ask, are you a contributor here or a consumer here? Because the world is telling you you're primarily a consumer. The gospel tells you and I that Jesus gave up his life so we could be a contributor to others as he was a contributor to us. Amen? So are you serving here? Are you involved here? Are you giving of your time and talents here? Not just here, but then is that going out into the world? Family, some of us, this needs to be a new season for we need to say, it's time for me to stop just sitting and receiving. It's time for me to start giving from what I've been given. Amen? Okay, I want to end with this passage. Chapter 13. I'm gonna find it, there it is. Paul says this, and I want, before I read it, I just wanna preface this. Love is the motivator for every single thing you and I do. Always, 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 always. You do what you do because of who you love. And if you primarily love yourself more than everyone else, then this message is is confronting you because you're going, and don't call me to give up my rights. It is all about me. And so Paul says this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so here's the question I want to ask as we close our time in 1 Corinthians. What do you love most? Who do you love most? What's captured your heart most? 
What, what, what are you affectionate about most? Because whatever that answer is, is your God. And whatever that God is, you ought to ask, can it save you? Has it saved you? Has it laid its life down for you? If the answer isn't, Jesus has captured my heart most, my love is most about him and what he's called me to be and do, then you will find yourself not free as you've been hearing all morning, but enslaved to something that's probably going to rip the life out of you because it will never give you what you ultimately long for, which is life eternal, life abundant, life free in Jesus Christ. So some of you today, maybe it's like, it's time for me to just repent and say, I need the love of Christ afresh in my life. And that'd be my hope, that we would end 1 Corinthians and say, Lord, it's not primarily about me, it's about you and your glory, it's about your love in my life, and it's about me pouring out my life for others as you did for me.